0: episode 14 of Talking With Painters. I'm Maria Stolger and I'm excited to start off the year with my interview with Reg Mombasa. Reg who is also known as Chris O'Doherty has been exhibiting his art with Sydney's Waters Gallery for over 40 years and in 2007 there was a major survey of his work at the SH Irvin Gallery in Sydney. He was also one of the leaders of a group of artists which created designs for the Mambo surf clothing label. And I think it's safe to say that those designs are instantly recognisable to most Australians. But of course, Reg is renowned not only as an artist, but also a musician. He founded the iconic Australian band Mental As Anything with fellow art student Martin Plaza. And in 1991, he formed his band Dog Trumpet with his brother, Pedro Doherty. The music you just heard is actually from the song Made in the World and is from their album, Medicated Spirits. He's also had a creative input into major public events, such as the Sydney Olympics closing ceremony and Sydney New Year's Eve celebrations. And he's won awards for his poster and album cover works. His paintings are held in major Australian art institutions, including the National Portrait Gallery and the Art Gallery of New South Wales. All the works we talk about are on the website talkingwithpainters.com. I met up with Reg at his studio in Sydney and started our conversation by asking where he grew up.
1: Oh, OK. Um, well, I grew up in Auckland, in New Zealand, in South Auckland, which is sort of like the western suburbs of Sydney, in a, um, an outer suburb, and my, uh, my parents were... Had migrated from England and Ireland um, after the Second World War, and, and uh, um,
0: had they met? They met before they came. They, no, they no, and, oh, no. They, they met in they,
1: New they, Zealand. They actually met in a psych hospital. They were both nurses, psych nurses. Um, my father was—he's a carpenter actually, but he was doing that at the time. And then, um, and then I went to uh, high school in, in North Auckland. That we also we also lived in north of Auckland in a sort of semi-rural area for about four years when I was from eleven till about 15 and, um,
0: oh, yeah. and I what did art in like? high school and yeah, oh, right. it
1: was, it, I, I loved it actually it was um, we had like 10 acres of scrub and bush at a place called Wangapara oh, yeah. Peninsula which is now really sort of built out and more like a suburb of Auckland now but it was more kind of semi-rural then and um, and my parents ran a motel which Dad built because he was a, a carpenter builder and um it had been a market garden, so we had some peach trees and, and, you know, picked the fruit and sold it and stuff, but I just really enjoyed mm. living there as a, you know, as an adolescent and and and, um, and then we came to Australia when I was 17.
0: Oh, okay. So that was, you'd finished school? I'd finished, finished high school. school, yeah. So what was it, you were saying that you did art at high school. Yeah. And what was that, was that an inspiring sort of uh, experience? Like, were you teachers?
1: Yeah, and no, I had a good teacher, uh, a guy called Dougal Page. Oh, yeah. And um, you know he, you know he was like had a beard and a beret and corduroy and trousers and you know um, rode a motorcycle which was fairly groovy in 1966 you know and,
0: yeah.
1: and, and he we sort of me and my friends used to pretty much hang out in the art room you know pretty much hiding from the you know all the thugs at school and the um, mm-hmm. conservative teachers because we were starting to grow our hair long and, and getting hassled about that so we pretty much. And, and he protected the art room boys to some extent, so, you know, that was kind of a good thing. But mm. um, So there's a
0: gr- there was a group of you that sort of gravitated yeah, a, to yeah, each other? Yeah, there was yeah.
1: a yeah, group of, you know, kids that did art plus a couple of other boys that just, you know, like hanging around the art room, so that was a kind of...
0: And what sort of things were they? did you learn at high school, like what
1: were you encouraged to do? Um, oh, well... One thing he he got us doing was quick drawings of figure drawings. You know, boys would just stand up and then you do that, and I found that kind of useful. But I actually taught myself to paint at home by um, just copying pictures out of art books. I started getting, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I get art books in the library, you know, books of Western art, the whole sort of thing. I tried copying um, uh, Renaissance paintings, but I found that too difficult. But Mm. then I started copying. I really liked Impressionist paintings and Van Gogh and Mm Cezanne. Sisley and Monet and, uh, and Renoir—all those painters. So I started copying them, and I could get a result from it. And it just taught me how to, you know, paint and mix colours. And I used to buy um, powdered oil paint and mix it up, make it myself because oh, it was really? cheap. You know, you yeah. buy these big sort of cardboard tubs of powdered paint, and you just mix it up with linseed oil and, and um, put so, it in a jar mm. and cover it with water. And I used that painted. Did I painted a few self portraits as well as the?
0: So you mo- your parents must have encouraged you.
1: To do yeah, that. That, well, that, yeah, they did to some extent. I mean, my, I mean, I drew really keenly as a child, but you know, when I was, you know, at, at primary school, I wasn't that aware of you know of Western mainstream art and painting. I just liked comics and you know graphics and stuff and illustrations and kids' books and stuff like that. But yeah, but but my father had he had a scholarship to go to art school in Ireland when he was sixteen, but his father died suddenly, and he had to go to work as a carpenter, so he didn't. He never got to sort of. Um, you know, fulfil the, fulfil his artistic, yeah. you know, sort of. Um,
0: so did talent. he? Did he draw at home?
1: Like, yeah, he did a bit of Sunday painting, and he. um I mean, he was a talented artist. He was in, he was in the oh. British Army for six years in the Second World War, and you know, he'd, he'd do the do the Christmas cards for his his battalion and stuff. And.
0: And so what was he like? What was his personality
1: like? He was very quiet. He was an Irishman, and obviously O'Dow, James O'Dowd, his name was, and. Um, he was very quiet, and you know, he was an alcoholic, but he wasn't—he was never violent or or unpleasant. You know, he was a very gentle man, and he—and mm-hmm. it was kind of was a strange relationship with my mother because he was dad was a bigamist, and she found that out when I was about two. That he was arrested because he had a wife and daughter that he would abandoned, basically, in Ireland oh. in, in London. Sorry. Um, so you know, there was always a slightly tense sort of relationship between him and which we didn't know about. I didn't know about this until until after he died, because um, my half-sister managed to contact me through the Red Cross.
0: Oh, right. Um, so that was, how old were you then?
1: I would have, oh, I was 50-odd then. It was,
0: oh, so it was a total surprise to you? Yeah, it was a total that, oh. nothing
1: about it, and my mother was really horrified when we discovered it, because oh. she'd kept it a secret, and... Mm. And so, and so had he, you know. So that was kind of um, mm. weird. So you know, I mean, I, I, you know, the fact that he, he he drank was probably partly a result of that and being mm. the war. Uh, he was in the he was in the British Army for six years, you know, through um, during the, the war during the war. Yeah, oh, for, you right. Know, Did he night. ever talk about that? You no, know, he talked about it. But he was a medical orderly. He wasn't he wasn't like a frontline soldier, but he was always close to the front line and working in hospitals. And and my mother was in the um in the Royal Air Force. She was a, um, in bomber ground crews in England, joined up when she was 18. Oh they were right. bombed out of their house in Manchester, so mum was pretty tough, you know, she could she'd put up with a lot and she, yeah. she migrated by herself to New Zealand. She, got, so she knew it, nobody there? No, she knew no one. She was going to go with one of her sisters and another friend, but they pulled out and so she just went by herself.
0: And, and was she a um, creative person?
1: She, she wasn't so artistically creative, but yes, yeah, she was. She did, she did drama and um, you know amateur theatre uh, when she was working in hospitals and, you know, mm. she said, you know, some of the doctors and said she was talented and stuff and I'm sure she probably was and that's why I think my, my daughter Claudia takes after her in that sense.
0: So what? So how old were you when you came to Australia?
1: 17. i just finished high school.
0: How did you feel about that?
1: Oh, I didn't particularly want to come. I was a bit horrified, you know. I mean, I was, I was partly horrified and partly glad to escape the... Violent social life in Auckland that teenagers, kind of boys, kind of had to put up with at that time, because I'd been beaten up a couple of times, um, and I knew there was certain thugs in the area didn't like me and was, said they were going to get hold of me, and give me a hiding. So uh. stuff like that made me. I was kind of glad to escape from that, but I was also, you know, sorry to leave my friends.
0: And did you have a group of, of friends who were who were sort of interested in the arts?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I had. I had a couple of friends, that, I had a friend that wasn't, he was like a, he was like a um, a friend called Garf Cheswell, he was, who I actually boarded with for three months before I left New Zealand, because mum and dad came over earlier with my brother. Oh yeah. So I finished high school and, um, and he, he was like a really good footballer and a great street fighter and stuff, but, and sort of looked after me to some extent.
0: And, and... So it was a pretty rough time
1: in Auckland at that at when you were you know sixteen. Well, I mean, then. I think it's I think it's uh, lots of places are rough for teenage boys. It's you know mm. boys are violent and they you know and and but, but but apparently I didn't realise it. But yeah, Auckland had a reputation of being fairly relatively violent. I mean, every time you went into town, someone would pick a fight with you. Or, mm. So, but you know, I mean, we didn't actually. I got sort of head butted and we we got beaten up one night in a park and, and kicked and that. But luckily, um some. Adults came along and the gang ran off. There's about twelve of them. There was yeah, four right. of us and uh, and another another time a, a Scottish guy and his mate grabbed me. I was by myself and and head butted me twice and broke my nose and uh, oh, God. and but I managed to uh, I escaped and ran away from them because he, he said he was going to put me in hospital. So I was uh, and, well, and that it. was on the basis just because just of the they sort of person you d- didn't like up. the look of you. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, didn't, right. These are people you don't know, so you know. Yeah, and.
0: and uh, well, I mean, you've you've been quoted many times saying that you sort of you're frightened of, of people. <clears throat>
1: um, yeah, I am to some extent. Humans, you, m- you, men particularly.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, hearing these stories, I can't. You know, I, I, it sounds like it can date back to to those days.
1: Well, yeah, it does. I mean, I mean, I did, you know, I got I was sort of intermittently bullied because I was quite you know I was small and thin and sort of sickly when I was an adolescent and. Um, mm and, you know, and quiet and sort of liked art and reading books because uh, it, fe- you know, it was a fairly masculine sport, kind of outdoor sort of culture. So I sort of, you know, I wasn't, didn't wreck my life or anything, but it it sort of it does leave a certain, um, um you know, I don't know, resentment, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, A
1: few chips on the shoulder from that sort of, um, that kind of violent male culture. Well, I, I basically think that, you know, human um, history has been... Uh, marred by that because we basically have always been um, ruled by um, you know violent alpha male warrior types mm. since you know the start of the, the beginning of it for the last five thousand years and probably before that too. But and 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 it's still happening. You know, there's still you know uh, terrible things happening in the world and mm. and not just overseas too. There's still plenty of plenty of unpleasantness goes on here, domestic mm. violence and pub fights and stuff like that.
0: And, and when you came here, what was the plan? I mean, were you at that point, before you left New Zealand, did you have a, had you formed a view that you wanted to become an artist or, or at least pursue that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, I wanted to be an artist. I mean, I was playing music too. You know, I started playing in, I played in a, a band in Auckland, but we didn't need to actually play anywhere, we just rehearsed. But, but I, yeah, I wanted to go to art school um,
0: and was 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 the art side more important than the music side at that point?
1: At that point, it was. Yeah, I was. You know, was, the art was more of a hobby, I guess. But um, so I was. I mean, the first job I got was um, on the Department of Main Roads, just you know doing shovel work. Oh, and yeah. I did that for a few weeks and then I w- worked as a builder's labourer because I'd worked for my father and his friends as a labourer when I was, you know, from when I was about 15, so I could do that. Mm. And then um, my mother s- sent me into town to try and get a job at an advertising agency to show my drawings and then I went into town and did that and um, they looked at me and said, oh, you should go to art school, which was probably good advice. So I enrolled in um, the National Art School and went to... Not, not to East Sydney, just to, uh, the, you know, you had to, it was like a five-year course then. I started at Seaforth, did a year at Seaforth, then a year at, um, at uh, Ranwick. And then I sort of found it a bit boring and left because it was still, it was, you still had to do, you know, English and lettering. And I thought, I oh, you know, bugger it, I can, oh, I can teach myself how to, you know, because I already kind of had taught myself how to paint a bit, you know, reasonably well.
0: So you decided to leave at that point. Yeah, I left yeah, right. after
1: 2 years. I was working at the dog's home then as a kennel man and then an ambulance driver and and and, and I kept doing builders labouring jobs and house painting jobs.
0: And so did you were you drawing and painting at that point yeah, while kept, you were doing that labouring yeah, work kept, and all that kept sort kept of thing?
1: Yeah. Doing some painting, but you know, you don't you don't do that much because I, you know, when I was working at the dog's home, I was living in a a farmhouse out near Windsor with a, a couple of friends, and and I was working six days a week and driving an hour or two hours just to get to work and back every day. So you know, so it was a lot of
0: didn't I didn't have that much spare time. time. And what were you painting?
1: Oh, it was probably more um, more sort of influenced by people like um, Francis Bacon. Then doing sort of kind of more um, you know sort of figures. creatures and figures yep. similar to some of the stuff I did with Mambo, I suppose, but but in more in that sort of you know looser style and uh, and then I thought oh I'll, I'll try and do a few landscapes because I thought i would be able to sell them in a suburban art shop or something so i copied a few you know just I'd see photographs in magazines of a landscape I'd just copy them I do some and I quite enjoyed doing that and, and I didn't manage to sell any and in, in, in the um, I put some in a suburban art shop you know for oh, about yeah. seventy bucks each and didn't sell any and and I. I mean, some of them I showed later at Watters and they sold them for a lot more than $70. You know, so.
0: <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it funny how it just depends on the timing?
1: And, oh, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: timing. And, you know, luck is an enormous part of having any success in any career, but yeah. particularly in, in uh, You know, being around the, the right place at the right time.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so you took a few years off and then what made you – you went back to, to –
1: yeah, um, I went back to school art school in 1975.
0: And what caused you to do that?
1: Well, partly because the Whitlam government came in and they would introduced a uh, you know scholarship to go to uni or art school. and I think it was like forty two dollars a week, which is about I was working at the as a as a train loader at the Central Railway at the time, yeah. we were getting about the same money. You know, working working five days five nights a week, but only for four hours. It was a sort of a part time job but, and painting in the daytime. And doing music, I was sort of playing in bands by then too, and uh, so I thought, oh yeah, I'll go back to art school, and I'm and I'm glad I did because that year I I had my first show at Waters.
0: How did you meet um, or get into contact with Waters? um?
1: Well, I'd been going to shows there and really liked the gallery, and I Mm. sort of knew a couple of the artists, and I knew a guy called Neil Evans who lived next door to me and. He's a, a painter, and he was actually a conceptual artist at the time. And I sort of admired him, and he he sort of liked a couple of the pictures I was doing, and and introduced me to Frank. Mm-hmm. And so then and Frank gave me a show. A first show was a, a group show, but I had you know like more than half a dozen paintings in it. So it was a.
0: And were they landscapes?
1: They were. They were the first house, suburban house paintings that I did. Yeah, and right. I think I was, I would have been year twenty-three at the time, and that that year I also. Met Martin and the, started the Mentals, and I also met my wife that year, so that was a big year for me.
0: Yeah. So you and Martin are met at art school.
1: Yeah, we were at art school together, and we started jamming sort of late '75, and then we got the band together in, in by '76 and did had our first gigs that year at art mm-hmm. school parties.
0: Yeah. So for the, I mean, <coughs> for people who aren't from Australia, um, mm-hmm. they might have heard of Mentals anything, but I just that's the band that you put together. So you and Martin yeah. founded that. So were all the band members from the art school?
1: Uh, yeah they were We had um, David Tuhill, um The drum Was the drummer He was at art school And Greedy he was at art school I mean Greedy Joined a bit, bit later He started just Playing harmonica Casually And then, then Joined the band We got him to get a keyboard And, and uh and we, our first bass player was um, uh, Steve Coburn, John Coburn's son, the artist, John Coburn. Oh, yes, and, right. Um, I mean, Steve only played with us for a year or so. He, oh, he okay. sort of didn't, didn't, you know, he didn't turn up for practice and didn't seem quite as committed. So we got my brother in as mm-hmm. the bass player. Who My brother was a really good guitar player at that time. Um, and so he, he joined and, uh, and that was the lineup.
0: Mm. And that's Peter O'Doherty. Peter O'Doherty, He's also yeah. an artist. Yeah. Um, and also you, you all had... A few group shows as well at Waters Gallery. So Mental as yeah, Anything did. as a band yep. had a visual arts group show of paintings. Did you influence each others each other in your styles?
1: Mm, yeah, oh, kind of. I mean, they weren't they were different, but I mean, we, we were all doing pretty much figurative stuff. And would you be would you paint or draw, sort of in proximity of each other, or would you? Yeah, be...? Yeah, or... so on the road we'd often do not all the time, but I mean, we'd often do stuff and. Um, and I was, We were in a a motel off on the Gold Coast once, and Martin suggested we alter the paintings on the wall. The, the one that we did, the one I remember altering, was a um, sort of a rainy Paris, you know, scene, you know, Paris at night, cheesy sort of paintings. we just, we and we would add stuff to the painting in the style of the painting.
0: Oh, so you mean it was already a painting that existed yeah, it was in the a motel on
1: the wall of the motel? We <laughs> did, did a couple of them, and, and people were, in, you know. So, so I, you know, I think I added a couple of dogs having sex, you know, in the in, in the on the rainy pavement, and Martin put a little um, a McDonald's sign in the background, and a space a little spaceship in the sky, you know. So you would look at the painting casually, you wouldn't notice anything. If you looked at closely, you'd notice these details, you know.
0: So how, how did you uh, come about getting your first solo show?
1: Um, oh, well, through through Neil Evans introducing me to Frank, basically, but I didn't have my first solo show there until 1986. And I started working for Mambo in 1986, so yeah. I how did that ex- start? exhibiting there. Oh, um, Dare Jenny's the guy that founded Mambo, saw um, a record cover I did for The Mentals, and me? a, a, a single cover, actually, and he's, he liked a couple of chooks that were... Running along beside this car, and he asked me to redo them as a yardage pattern, which I did, and then just kept doing stuff, and it grew oh, from there. Nice. There was probably about a, a maybe about, around about a dozen sort of fairly regular contributors, mm. uh, including me, but um, and it sort of you know, it was, like, it was like an art movement in a way, you know, a, a, a sort of a very informal, organic. Sort of had a life mm. of its own, really, and um, Well,
0: there was recently a documentary on the ABC called "Art Irritates Life," which, yeah, which about, was about, about that, that yeah. whole era. And did you were you basically given free reign as to whatever um, characters or designs you wanted to come up with?
1: Yeah, completely. That's yeah. which was a great thing about dealers. Really, he was you know he was very you know he he wasn't an artist himself, but he had a, a had a good eye for. Good stuff, and he was a very creative businessman too. You know, I mean, I mean, his his idea of having Mambo was because he was a surfer, you know. And he thought surf art was really boring, which it kind of was. It was just logos and a little, you know, little design around the bottom of the the shorts or whatever. And, yeah. And so he wanted to put you know more interesting you know pictures on the shirts, which is what what he did, you know. And, yeah. and so it was, you know, and a lot of it was kind of. You know, just kind of dick and bum, adolescent humour, I guess, that would appeal to boys. But some of it was, you know, political, you know, critical of authoritarian, you know, structures and what have you.
0: That's right. And and some of those characters that you came up with, um, for example, the um, Australian Jesus, for yep. which he was quite uh, prominent in that in, yeah. in that time. Uh, <clears throat> You must have got a bit of flack for that at the time, did you? Was there a criticism?
1: Oh, yeah, occasionally. I mean, the, the Australian Jesus was, you know, Dare actually had seen a TV show about some cult leader down the south coast that was calling himself the Australian Jesus. Oh, and we okay. thought that was pretty funny, so I yeah. did the first thing and then that, again, developed a life of its own. And, and, um,
0: oh, so that's I where that idea it. came yeah, from. Yeah, that's
1: where that idea... I oh, mean, right. occasionally he would suggest things like he'd been to Europe and... Enjoyed all the stained glass windows, and he bought a book of stained glass windows. So I did a few fake stained glass pictures, you know, oh, right. with a religious kind of subject matter. And um, and I also did some sort of things, you know, reflective of sort of fascist art, you know, Italian, you know, fascist art in the 30s, but kind of mocking it as well, but using that style to some extent. Kind of homoerotic, sort of weird stuff that the Nazis and the Italians did at that time.
0: Do you think people sort of got it? as to what, where that was coming from?
1: Oh, some people would have got it, yeah. Mm. I mean, um, and some people just thought it was an amusing picture yeah. or, or, you know, a ridiculous well, I suppose picture.
0: It, well, there is a is uh, <clears throat> humour in it, and that and that's um, something that's sort of
1: gone through your work, I think, throughout. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've absurd humour is something that I find very appealing.
0: Mm. And also in music as well. The mentals were, were quite funny
1: a lot of the time. Yeah, so, I mean and it's funny because, you know, I mean, in some ways... In music or art, having humour is sometimes dismissed as being, you know, frivolous or, um, or you know, sort of, I guess, popular culture or somehow a bit lowbrow. But I think it's, I think it's, you know, if it's done, if it's done, correctly, it's, it's, it's fine. You know. Oh, it's,
0: it's really. I think it's
1: really important. It's interesting.
0: Well, it, it it provides a way in to look at things more that might be more serious. and yeah, it does. Yeah. You know, and it makes you think about it more carefully and. You're not frightened away you know by more realistic or hard hitting approach you know yeah
1: and it's a, and it's also a way of you know i don't know making sense of or making you know because you know because human life and history is kind of so absurd at times and and also so um, pathetic and violent and unjust and idiotic, you know so it kind of it ameliorates that to some extent
0: yeah. So you were pretty busy at that point. You had, you worked with Mambo, Mental as Anything. You had your solo shows. Yep. And also you started up another band.
1: Yeah, I started, I think about late 90, around 91, I started Dog Trumpet with my brother, Peter, who was the bass player in the Mentals.
0: Yeah. So in a typical day in those days, would you be mixing your... You know, songwriting with your art. I mean, how would that work? Would you you spend one day doing your artwork?
1: No, not okay. necessarily. It would. You, it would either be. It would often be mixed up. I mean, you know, if you if you weren't touring, you, you know, you w- you wouldn't be playing every night of the week. But so mm-hmm. I'd be at home just doing my art and maybe working on songwriting um, in the in the one day, and then maybe go off and do a gig at night. Yeah. And I kind of still do that. Obviously, not not as much playing anymore, but I, every pretty much every day I'll do a bit of you know, rehearse a bit, play a bit of guitar, work on a song for an hour or two and the rest of the day I'm just doing um, visual art.
0: Do you think that one helps the other?
1: Uh, yeah, to some extent. I mean, I the, you know, the kind of subject matter and the themes, you know, they bleed into each other a bit, you know, because I mean, I, you know, I write songs as well and, and I also like writing the, you know, the, um, the titles of pictures. I think about that. Quite a bit, and sometimes there's more writing on the pictures than the mambo stuff I did on my own bylines and and text. You know, so I kind of, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, the sort of the historical, religious, political stuff that I put in into the into the into the pictures is just subject matter. Really, it's just you know observing the world and it's all of its sort of ludicrous aspects and um, and yeah, and just making light of it. Or I mean, mm. you know, I'm not a I'm not a political activist or commentator, but but some of that stuff is is subject matter. Mm. I mean, I admire people that are political activists; it's a noble and you know, often unpleasant and courageous existence. But I don't have the commitment or the or the or the generosity or courage to do that mm.
0: myself. I think I think courage is a good word to use because, especially these days.
1: Yeah, especially these days. I mean, the world is drifting into fascism. I think, which oh, is really quite disturbing. And also, the, you know, the fact that people are now don't seem to have any, um, put any, a lot of people don't put any value on truth. It's like they're telling lies and it's conspiracy theories and nice. fake news. And it's happening, you know, it's happened, obviously happened in America with Trump, but it's happening here. People are copying him and people are, are um, you know, are geed up and, and encouraged to, to basically behave you know, in a very nasty way. Mm. Or to speak in a very nasty way,
0: and and I think sometimes it, I mean the scary thing is if it gets quite sophisticated, you might not be able to discern the difference between
1: what's true and no. Not. Well, obviously a lot of people don't. They 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 particularly when they're focusing on you know conservative right wing news channels like Fox News or something. They don't they don't listen to anything else, so they, they get they get that and the, and the stuff on the internet, which is you know some of the right wing groups and.
0: And, you get into um, an, so echo it, well. an echo chamber as well. It's
1: an echo chamber, so you, you know, and, so it's like, and it's, and it, unfortunate people on the left, progressive people, it, it's a similar thing, so they're becoming more, um, you know, less able to talk to each other, more polarised. Mm. It's mm. quite, it is, so it's very uh, worrying. I'm a, I'm a sort of pessimistic catastrophist, but I, I mean, I hope these things don't happen, but it's, you know, when, like, when, Trump was elected. I was thinking, oh, this is a little bit like January nineteen thirty-three. Mm. But uh, I mean, hopefully let that you know those kind of bad things won't happen. But you know, you've got to be got to keep an eye on things, yeah, I like guess. That's
0: right. I that's guess. Right. Um, let's go to more pleasant topics. Yes, I love your <laughs> recent book. It's called Landscapes of Reg Mombasa: Antipodean Scenery views from the eyes of a car and it's a collection of of drawings and paintings and etchings actually from Mm. as far back as 1968 so uh when you were quite young from coming from traveling you know traveling in a car Mm. uh I noticed that you did a lot of trunks of trees with beautiful textures and I'm actually looking around your studio now and I can see there's a lot of them there's here and there's
1: one over there yeah i mean they're always they're invariably anthropomorphic they look like Mm. you know figures and the way the limbs are arranged that but also within the texture of the bark and the patterns and the Mm. the, you know and the bleeding bits and the striations and the um and the loppings that you know there's so many interesting things about trees and they you know they are like living creatures as well and it's uh, something quite interesting about
0: them and I notice that there's a margin, more or less, on every, on the page. So you start yeah, with I a.
1: pretty much always do that. Not sometimes not in paintings if if it's on a canvas or whatever. I'll go to the edge, but I don't like going to the edge often. But it's it's I, I don't know why I like doing that. It's, it's partly it's making a portal into this, you know, into this. Um, other reality but it, and also it gives you a frame on the picture if it's yeah. not actually framed it's like you've got this little white strip around it so
0: yeah i think i think it's really effective and also i think it can help your composition too because you can see it a bit clearer in a yeah it sort does of a it, rectangle it, a rectangular bounds.
1: shape i mean even those little paintings there for instance they've got
0: yeah they've got right the, they've
1: got the margins i haven't gone to the edge
0: so sometimes so you'll do some sometimes some quite small paintings mm. will it just be depending on how you feel that day in the studio?
1: I, I, don't do, I don't do many large pictures. Mm-hmm. I mean, partly because I can't get them up in the studio, but partly through laziness. I mean, I just like doing small stuff because it's, it's quicker and, and it suits me. And I often find that something that works well small doesn't always work well large. It's kind of, um, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't, for some reason, it doesn't translate.
0: Talking about large, hmm. you were involved in the closing ceremony of the 2000... Uh, Olympics. Yeah, that was large. Uh,
1: that was large. <laughs> but I didn't make them myself, of course.
0: No, they, they were, were large inflatable uh, versions of um, some of the. They were man- the mambo.
1: Mambo characters, characters, essentially, and there was uh, there was there was a couple of other really large things which weren't used because it was too windy. There was like two dirigibles which were like about like a hundred feet long, which were going to float over the stadium, and there was also a. Um, <gasps> a blowfly about the size of a truck which was on, going to be on wires going across the stadium but because of the uh, this high wind on the night they cancelled then oh, which was quite disappointing. Been, it it was, really it was, disappointing it was really disappointing and one of the the best inflatable I thought was, was also scrub because some of the volunteers objected to it on religious grounds I don't quite know why but uh, was that was, one of
0: the Australian Jesus? no or? it wasn't no. actually
1: it was just a beer demon it was a beer demon with a sort of a mm, uh, Indonesian kind of barley type of head mm. and, uh, and a sort of a beer can body and it had a beer tap penis with a frothy big sort of froth of...
0: Maybe york, it was that part of it york, that yeah, they Yeah, didn't well like.
1: it must have been that. Somehow I'm upset there.
0: Well it does, I mean I suppose for when it's something for the greater public, do you find that you have to make yeah, you it more have bland? Yeah, you
1: have to censor yourself at times or, or they will censor you anyway, you sort of know that. I mean yeah. I mean, some yeah. of the Mambo stuff I did you know, the worst, there was some criticism whether it be letters to the paper or you know, the local Catholic church might, you know, boycott mm. the local shop if they were objected to something. And once mm. three guys went into the Mambo shop in Paddington and said, get that banner down by next week or we'll firebomb the shop, you know, and that was about the worst kind of threat. Oh that God. Was. That was an Australian Jesus and he was kind of, he was naked and a little bit overweight and looked a bit gay or something. So, mm. you know, I mm. guess that was the reason that they... You know, I'm not. I mean, I'm not religious, but I'm not against religion either. But I think you know, sort of the more extreme versions of religion and that, that sort of are really un, unhealthy. You know, because people resort to violence so easily if they yeah, that's if, right. if someone annoys them or upsets their their idea of it or or. Has a different idea or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. I think they find it threatening.
1: Yeah, they find it yeah. threatening. I mean, you know, I mean, so, you know, so much, so much of the stupid things that happen in the world are, are, are driven by extreme mm-hmm. religious belief, and that's mm-hmm. pathetic.
0: Yeah. The other um, large public event you were involved with in was the um, 2013 New Year's Eve celebrations.
1: That's right. Yeah. What was
0: that experience <clears throat> like?
1: Oh, that was again. Yeah, it's you know, I mean, those things are always interesting, but you know because you've got a lot of people having opinions about it it can be difficult but I, I found that it was pretty it, I mean the, the main part I enjoyed about that really was doing the banners that they hang around the city
0: oh yeah
1: because they had these banners all along the streets and, I, yeah, and right. I and I thought they were the best things I did for that because like the you know you can't really design fireworks it's like I was yeah. supposed to do that but really what can you do it's just fireworks you know yeah, um, I did suggest they just have grey and brown fireworks. But that was sort of a joke. <laughs> and they didn't exactly do that, but
0: no, I don't think that would have gone down too well in the international news.
1: No, it wouldn't. And I put and, the, and I put the big eye thing on the Harbour Bridge, and it's funny because some of the American sort of right wing people were criticising that for being Illuminati, like some sort of weird, <laughs> you know. <laughs> The lizard aliens that are plotting, you know, to overthrow oh the world. Oh, my God.
0: You know, so. Yeah, right. <coughs> um, and I also noticed, actually, that's what I wanted to get onto. This is a personal interest of mine, is portraiture. And I saw that in 2007 you, you were a finalist in the Archibald Prize yep. with a self-portrait, yeah. um, which was called Self-Portrait Self in High Pants. I thought that self-portrait was um, really successful. It was like a backlit
1: yeah, well, portrait. Backlit, yeah, um, with shirt off as a sort of a joking rock and roll kind of bit of show offy kind of nonsense, you know, making fun of that shirtless rock look. I've entered the Archibald three or four times with, but only with self-portraits. I don't have any interest in trying to find some marketable celebrity and sitting <laughs> in a room with them to, to do, because I'm not really a portrait painter, but I, you know, mm. I started doing self-portraits when I was about 15 and Okay. Quite en- enjoyed that, you know, and it, because I don't have to worry about offending myself, you know, and I'm available, and um,
0: yeah,
1: and I've, you know, so I do, I've done quite a few self portraits.
0: There's also, I noticed that the in the permanent collection of the um, Art Gallery of New South Wales, there's a couple of um, por- self portraits.
1: Oh yeah, there is one that I did of me and my brother when we were kids. Patrick White bought that and gave it to them. Yes. He bought three or four pictures from my first art show, which was very encouraging.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it would have been. That must have been amazing. It
1: was, yeah. Did you meet him? I met him once briefly at the art gallery at a function, you know. He was sort of a big, tall, sort of distant mm. guy. I didn't really, you know, I mean, sort of just really met him. But Frank Waters used to be quite friendly with him. He used to go to his dinner parties and that, and they mm. were often f- fractious, dramatic affairs. Yeah. with <laughs> Lots of arguments and people leaving in tears and stuff. Patrick was quite critical, I think.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I think he was a bit
1: severe. And dramatic and severe, yeah, yes, I think
0: yeah. so. Oh, that's interesting. Well, he did a good thing to, to, to um, give the paintings over to the art gallery. Um, yeah, he
1: gave a lot of stuff to Yeah,
0: I mean, there's a self-portrait there also that you did um, from the early days. Actually, I'll just get the date right. Yeah, it's a self-portrait. It's called Self-Portrait with a Lumpy Coat from 1986. So that must have been around the time that you had your first solo show.
1: Yes, it would have been. It was probably in that show. Actually. Oh, it was probably in that yeah, it show. Was. And
0: that's. it's an interesting painting because, well, first of all, it was on copper plate. Yeah. What made you, were you doing that sort of thing much back then?
1: No, I just must have had that piece of copper. I thought, oh, I'll paint on it. But, and I did. And I think it's acrylic. Yeah, it's acrylic.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, it says oil. Oh, I think it's oil, oh, actually. Maybe it is oil. Yes, I think okay. it might be oil. Yeah, no, I can't really um, remember
1: details like that. But
0: I've always been interested, actually, of painting on copper because I've noticed people do that from time to time. and, um, don't quite know it, why. Well, it's I, not, I read somewhere... It's a
1: nice smooth, smooth, smooth... I like it's smooth, smooth surfaces because I started painting on hardboard when I was a teenager. Oh,
0: okay. And I've always liked
1: that. I mean, I do occasionally paint on canvas, but I don't particularly like it. What well, you don't like the weave. I don't like the weave all yeah. that much. But also, I think with the copper,
0: I read somewhere that sometimes that colour... If if you let it come through a bit, it can you know have an impact on the painting itself as well. I suppose oh, okay. it depends how thinly you apply the paint.
1: Yeah.
0: I suppose it have a reflective sort of. Effect oh,
1: sometimes as well, sometimes I've I've like used a, a particular ground, like um, one landscape I did. I, I painted it with the, the ground was like sort of orangey house paint, orange. Yeah high gloss and then i painted a you know a loose landscape over it and I, I liked that because the orange was coming through the grays it was a gray sort of rainy day sort yeah. of landscape and, and it was nice how the orange sort of bled through it
0: yeah that's right they that can have that can be mm. an amazing effect can't mm. it yeah, yeah i mean you
1: know obviously people like bacon use that you know he would paint on raw canvas and have that coming through the picture oh and, did he and, yeah. didn't know that right often often um, in a lot of his pictures
0: it's been an absolute pleasure being here, Reg. I've just enjoyed seeing your studio and talking about your wonderful artwork. It's
1: nice to talk to you. It's, that was a good conversation.
0: Excellent. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Reg has a solo show coming up at Waters Gallery in June in Sydney. And his band Dog Trumpet have regular gigs and will be playing at the Port Fairy Folk Festival in Victoria in March. And Reg and his brother Peter will also be showing works on paper down there, so um, get to it if you can. You can go to the website talkingwithpainters.com for details of all of that. Also, if you'd like to see a couple of short video clips which go with this interview, just go to the Talking With Painters Facebook or Instagram pages. You can also follow the show on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. You can subscribe to the show via your podcast app and if you'd like to put a review on iTunes, that'd be great too. That way we can get more people from around the world finding out about Australian artists. Hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking With Painters.
1: Put